we are going to take a break from our ordinary series in 1 Corinthians uh, to look at another passage together today. You know, given the developments of uh, the past weeks, I think it would be helpful for us to, to take a look at a passage that we've studied before. Although I trust today we will see it from a, a different perspective and come uh, with a deeper appreciation for its relevance to our own lives. At a time like this, there, there are a lot of places we could go in God's word for help and instruction. Uh, I have been thinking a lot the last few days about what, what you need to hear, what you need to hear from me. You certainly don't need to hear me politicize this situation. You know, the two extremes, this isn't a big deal. Everybody's making a lot more of this than they should. And on the other, it's the end of the world. Uh, you don't need me to pretend to be a, an expert on COVID-19, which I am not. You don't need to hear me speculating about the providence of God in connection to all that's happening right now. What you need, what we all need, is to hear God's word. God's word read, explained, and applied to our lives in the situation we find ourselves in. So let's do that now. I want to look at a familiar story. It's the story of Jesus calming the storm. We have accounts of this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I want us to look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. So please turn in your Bibles there with me, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. I don't have any kind of outline uh, today, and I'm not going to read the passage up front. I simply want to walk through this story together, verse by verse, to see what it teaches us about Jesus and about fear. We're going to see... Uh, a bad fear in this story, as well as a good fear. A good fear which, if we have in our lives, drives out all other fears. So with your Bibles open, take a look at chapter 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. They left from uh, from Galilee to go across the lake, and Jesus' disciples are with him. Uh, this boat, if you want to try to imagine it, we've actually discovered uh, a boat around the Sea of Galilee in this region, dated to a time around uh, that of Jesus and his disciples. And more than likely, it was similar to the boat that Jesus and his disciples rode on this evening. The boat was about 26 and a half feet long, four and a half feet tall, max capacity of about 15 people. And so more than likely, it's Jesus and his 12 disciples on this boat. And we know that they set out in the evening. After a long day of teaching, it's been a busy and demanding day for Jesus and the disciples, and they are no doubt looking forward to a quiet night uh, traveling across the lake. And so the disciples uh, probably had expectations for the evening. They expected it to be a quiet night, a restful night, uh, an evening of recovery after a long day's work. Um, but the future proved to be otherwise. And things came into their life and experience which they did not expect. And their lives were disrupted. And this turned out to be a night that they would never, ever forget. So what happened? We'll take a look at verse 23. 
Jesus is clearly tired and exhausted because as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, the Sea of Galilee is uh, famous for these sudden storms. The, the sea, the lake, it's surrounded by hills and mountains and you have uh, cold mountain air coming into contact with warm sea air and it can create these uh, these storms that develop very quickly. In the lake it's a, it's a decent size, it's about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. It's big enough that if you were to get caught in this lake, in the middle of this lake, in the midst of a powerful storm, you were in a bad spot. And this must have been a particularly violent storm because remember that several of the disciples of Jesus were experienced fishermen. This is what they did for a living. They had been through a storm or two. And, and yet here they are panicking. Uh, they understand, they know enough to know that this is a dire situation. And to make matters worse, the, the one person that they think is able to help them is fast asleep in the boat. Uh, Mark tells us that Jesus was in the stern, uh, asleep on a cushion. So now take a look at Luke chapter 8, verse 24. They went and woke him, saying, uh, Master, Master, we are perishing. So here you have here a desperate cry for help. In Mark's account, they ask him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And that sounds more like a rebuke. Don't you know that we are in trouble? Don't you understand how much danger you, that, that we are all in? Don't you care? Why aren't you doing something about it? And so if, if Luke and Mark's accounts are read alongside of each other, it looks like the disciples are, are crying out for help because they're scared. But they're also a little disturbed because they, they, they think that Jesus doesn't seem to be uh, all that concerned for their well-being. Maybe some of us are feeling a bit like that right, right now. We're, we're, we're feeling a bit scared and nervous, and so we're, we're asking, uh, Jesus, don't you see how serious this situation is? Maybe, maybe we're feeling a bit disturbed because we think Jesus is disinterested. So these disciples go to Jesus, the one man they think might be able to do something, but how in the world was Jesus sleeping in the first place? That's a question I think we need to ask. He, he wasn't faking it. He wasn't pretending like you might with your children, you know, laying there on the floor with your eyes half closed to see if they're actually coming to, to take a look at you. Jesus wasn't pretending to, in order to try to teach them a lesson. He was fast asleep. And that's because he is the God-man true God and true man, and as a man, he was exhausted because he had been pouring himself out in ministry. Now, we, we know he, he must have been exhausted because sleeping in a boat would be difficult to begin with, but Jesus managed to sleep through a storm that was literally sinking a boat. And while everyone else was, was frantic and panicking, Jesus was calm and restful. 
Now, perhaps there's a lesson there for us as, as Christians. Because Jesus never saw events in his life as spinning out of control. Jesus was able to live day by day and lay his head down at night with the assurance of knowing this is my father's world. And we can live with that assurance too. So, so while people around us may be panicking, we can be at peace because we know our God is in charge. Of course, that's not an excuse for presumption or, or failing to take wise precautions to preserve life. Uh, but while everyone else is frantic, Jesus is poised. And Jesus wants his own disciples to know this same kind of poise that comes from a knowledge of knowing that God is upon the throne. Now look at what happens after they wake him in the middle of the night. Verse 24, or excuse me, in the middle of verse 24. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now what a, what a strange experience this must have been. Surely this was an unnerving experience for, for the disciples. You know, sometimes uh, when Emma sees that it's raining outside, she looks out the window and she begins to sing, Rain, rain, go away, come again another day. Of course, I don't expect the rain clouds to, to listen to her. I don't expect the, the clouds to just begin holding the rain. And if they did, I would be scared out of my socks. What must it have been like for these disciples to see their leader one moment sleeping in the boat and the next standing up and rebuking the weather and nature obeying his command? I think if we saw that firsthand, as you were listening to Jesus, you probably would have thought, he's a little bit crazy. But then when you saw the rain cease and the waves calm, I think you would have been tremendously frightened. You see, one minute the storm is raging, Jesus then speaks, and then everything goes calm. It's like when I open up my dishwasher mid-cycle, you know, when I walk into the kitchen, the dishwasher's running, and you can hear the thing spinning around and spewing out water, all kinds of noise and commotion, but as soon as I pull the door open, Everything goes quiet. And so Jesus calms the storm by his word. He, he talks to the storm. Better yet, he rebukes it. It's the same language that is used throughout the Gospels when Jesus encounters demonic powers, casting out demons. He rebuked them and they obey. He rebuked this storm and it obeyed. Yeah, the point isn't that the storm is inhabited by a demon. The point is that Jesus has authority over nature. The winds and the waves obey his command. The same authority that Jesus has over spiritual powers, sickness, and death itself, Jesus has over nature. And so after calming the storm, verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this 
that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. So they rebuke Jesus. Jesus rebukes the weather. And then Jesus speaks a word of gentle rebuke to his disciples. They should have known. They had seen Jesus perform many mighty miracles already. Just in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has cleansed a leper, healed a, uh, the paralytic, a man with a withered hand, the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain's son, he raised from the dead. And this is no doubt just a sampling of the many mighty miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They should have had confidence that Jesus was in control and that with Jesus they were perfectly safe. You see, Jesus wants us to live by faith, not by sight. Of course, faith has to do with what God has done in the past. By faith, we believe God created the world by the word of his power. And by faith, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect life and died on a cross. And on the third day was raised again from the dead by God. And we also believe by faith in, in God's providential care and preservation of our lives. How he's preserved his people throughout history. But of course faith doesn't just apply to God's work throughout redemptive history. and It's not limited to God's past work in our lives as he has cared for us. It's not enough to just believe that what God has done in the past or, or, or that he's taken care of us personally in the past if, if we don't also trust that he will take care of us in the present. And it's not hard to see how that applies to us right now in this present moment, is it? You know, we, can, we can look back at what God has done for us as Christians, what he's done for his people throughout history, and we can take great comfort in that as we reflect upon divine providence. But you see, faith also takes comfort in the fact that right now and in the future, our good God is in complete control. And in the context of Luke's gospel, I, I think Jesus is reinforcing a lesson that he's just been teaching, because if you look back in Luke chapter 8, before this, Jesus had just been teaching the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed. And the, the seed representing the word of God as it falls on these different kinds of soil. One of the lessons is that, that the seed, the word of God, possesses within itself the power as it falls upon good soil to, to bring forth uh, uh, life and, and, and fruit. And so Jesus has been teaching about the power of the word and now he demonstrates in this story the power of his word. It's Jesus confirming the power of the word of God. He demonstrates that power to his disciples by commanding the, the wind and the raging waves. You see, it's a real-life illustration of the truthfulness of the parable of the seed. They're on the boat, a storm comes, they're in great danger, and there's nothing they can do to deliver themselves. Jesus speaks, and the storm is gone, and his disciples are brought home safely. 
And that, of course, raised an important question. Who is this guy? Who is it that even the wind and the water obey him? I mean, notice their reaction when they encounter the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ manifested through his word. They don't start jumping up and down with joy and go over and give Jesus a high five and say, man, that was awesome, Jesus. Can you do something like that again? No, instead, what, what's their response? They were filled with fear. They stood in awe. Because you see, it's one thing to face the storm. It's another to face the one, be in the presence of the one who commands the storm and it obeys him. And so they go from being afraid of the storm to being afraid of being in the presence of one who talks to the wind and the waves and they obey him. And so the question that leaves them with, a question that did not, they did not yet fully have the answer to, as we do as we look at the whole revelation God has given us in scripture, the question is, who is this man? Who is this guy? Now, if they, they connected all of the dots from, from what they are experiencing in this story to the Old Testament, they could have actually understood a great deal about who this Jesus, in fact, is. You know, one of the interesting things to notice in this story is that Jesus is traveling from Jewish Galilee across the lake to Gentile Decapolis. And he's going there to call people to repentance and to proclaim God's sovereign reign. Now, that was his mission. That's what he was going to do, to preach repentance and proclaim God's reign. Now, what, what Old Testament prophet does that make you think of? What Old Testament prophet had the mission of being sent to the Gentiles to proclaim repentance and God's sovereignty? It makes you think of Jonah, doesn't it? Jonah was called to go to the Gentiles and preach. You see, this story is telling us that in Jesus, one greater than Jonah is here. Now just think through some of the interesting contrasts. Jonah was fast asleep on a boat in the midst of a storm. Jonah was uh, awakened by his fellow travelers, asked to pray to God in order that they might receive help. Jesus was awakened, and he proved that he is God. Jonah was thrown overboard to calm the sea. Jesus stands up and throws out a word, and the sea is calmed. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And, and remember how the sailors responded to Jonah. They feared the Lord greatly. That's what the pagan sailors did after they saw that the storm was calmed by Jonah being thrown overboard. But now the disciples fear the Lord who is standing right alongside of them in the boat. And then, of course, there's the connection with Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, we read about God raising up this storm upon the waters and, and the waves increasing. But some of God's people are out in the middle of the sea and caught in the midst of this storm, and they're in great distress. They're at their wit's end, and so they call out to the Lord, and we read in verse 28 that he 
the Lord made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed and he brought them to their desired haven. He brought them to a place of safety. And so who is it that commands the storm and it obeys him? Who delivers his people from their distress? It is the Lord God himself. And the gospel accounts of this story are deliberately connecting what happens here with Jesus calming the storm. With this psalm, Psalm 107, of the Lord calming the waters. So who is it? It is the Lord God himself, Yahweh. The disciples have nothing to fear but the Lord himself who has authority over sin and sickness and death and Satan and the world as a whole. Great is the Lord and greatly to be feared. And that's where the story ends with the disciples Scared in the boat. Now, maybe that's not where you want the story to end. Of course, it, it, while it ends with the disciples shaking in their sandals in the presence of God incarnate, demonstrating the power of his word, we, we remember that this little story is part of the bigger story recorded in the Gospel of Luke of, of Jesus ultimately making his way to Jerusalem to to lay down his life upon the cross and on the third day rise again from the dead in order to secure salvation for his people and in order to redeem the whole world and to one day bring his people into that world where, where the world is no longer a threatening place for his people. But even in this moment, here on the boat, don't think that the disciples got a bad deal, you know, exchanging one kind of fear for another. Actually, here's the thing we need to think about. Here is the reality. We are all going to be afraid of something. We're all going to be fearful of something. Isn't that true? And maybe prior to the last couple of weeks, maybe a week ago, your greatest fear was, oh man, I might have to work overtime this week, or uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins might lose tonight or um, maybe it was something more serious than that maybe it had to do with your personal health or the health of a loved one uncertainty about the future but now it seems there's a whole new set of fears catching the virus transmitting the virus to others the elderly getting sick the economy crashing job security your retirement savings and and the list could go on and on we all are going to fear something but the good news of the Bible is that there is one that you ought to fear. And should you fear him rightly, then you need fear no one and nothing else. Not the unknown, not the future, not getting sick, not even death itself. Of course, this fear, the fear of the Lord, it's not a servile fear. It's not a fear that enslaves you. Rather, it's a fear that sets you free. It's a proper fear that leaves you standing in awe of Jesus who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. A fear and awe that leads you to put your trust in one who has authority over sin and sickness and death itself. 
You see, if we fear Jesus, we need fear no one and nothing else. Psalm 119 says that the fear of the Lord is clean. There's something clean in the fear of the Lord. There's something right and good and proper about it. And these disciples were beginning to trade in all of their wrong fears for the right fear of the Lord Jesus Christ, a fear that casts out all others. My friend, if you haven't already made that trade, won't you do it today? Trade the the fears of this life. Trade in what the author of Hebrews calls the fear of death for the fear of the Lord that casts out all other fears. You see, in the midst of real danger, the disciples of Jesus do not need to be afraid. And so the disciples question it's it's an important one it's an it's a it's a vital one for us to think about they were right to ask what sort of man is this who who sleeps in the stern out of complete utter human exhaustion and then the next moment stands up and talks to the wind and the waves and did they obey him And the answer of scripture, the answer of Psalm 107, it is the Lord. It is the Lord God himself. It is Yahweh. So fear him. Stand in awe of him. Put your trust in him and know the the freeing fear of the Lord. Now, it would be nice to wrap all of this up and say, okay, here's the application. Fear Jesus and he, he promises to drive away the coronavirus. I'm sure false teachers are going to be saying something along those lines uh, today and in the weeks ahead, saying things like, well, if you believe in Jesus, you won't get sick. Or if you're sick, if you just have enough faith, Jesus will heal you. If you hear anything like that, turn it off. Now, certainly we, we ought to pray for protection and healing, but I don't have a promise in scripture that says, Jared, Jesus is going to protect you from getting sick. Jesus is going to protect your loved ones from getting sick. We don't have a promise in scripture that that Christ will speak and we'll all wake up tomorrow and find out this storm is gone. I'll just stop there. Yeah. Oh, I just kept going. I didn't stop at all. What happened? Oh, okay. I was. I'll redo the intro part. I was. I'm thrown off by two cameras.
find what I was where I was at roughly. So you guys are out again. Okay. Alrighty. Now it'd be great to wrap all of this up and say, okay, here's the application. Uh, fear Jesus, trust in him, and he will drive away the coronavirus. And I'm sure that message can be found out there online. Uh, false teachers saying, uh, if you just trust in Jesus, you won't get sick. Or if you are sick, if you just have a stronger faith, he will hear you. And if you hear anything like that, just turn it off, move on. Uh, because we don't have any promise in scripture Saying things like, uh, Jared, uh, Christ promises that if you trust in him, you won't get sick. We don't have any promises that say, uh, Jared, trust in Christ and your loved ones won't get sick. Uh, we don't have a promise in scripture that Christ will speak a word and we'll all wake up tomorrow and this problem will be uh, all gone. So what is the good news of this story then? Well, the good news, first of all, is that Jesus is not removed from us in the midst of our distress. He's not distant and aloof. He's with us. And the one who is with us by his spirit is one who speaks and forgiveness is given. The sick are healed. The storm ceased. Demons are cast out. And so we can rest assured that what we are currently experiencing in this virus, that it's under his command. Now, from our limited perspective, there is a lot of uncertainty about the weeks and the months ahead. Uh, that uncertainty, understandably, can evoke feelings of discomfort and fear and even anxiety in us. We don't know what the future may hold. But let's be honest, even without the virus, we still live in a fallen world where there are a lot of things that could strike our hearts with fear. Car accidents, cancer, crashing markets, whatever. But right now, it's just the, the coronavirus is getting all of the attention. This world is filled with danger. But this story is teaching us that if we have the right kind of fear, the clean fear of the Lord, and we do not need to fear anything else. Jesus is with us. The Jesus who is in complete control because all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him. In Mark's account of this story, Jesus asked his disciples the question, why are you afraid? It's a great question. It's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Why are we afraid? 
again, from one point of view, being, being nervous about the future, it's understandable. It's part of our creaturely limitation. Uh, it's, it's natural that we'll have some uncertainty when things seem out of control. But we kid ourselves if we think that most of the time we've got everything under control. Truth is, we never know what the future holds. We never know what's going to happen. But we pretend to live under the illusion that we can plan and prepare and ensure that everything was go is going to go exactly as we think. I think one of the things we're seeing right now in the world and in our own nation, we're seeing and witnessing the humbling of the nations. You know, here we are with all of our modern technology, modern advancements, modern medicine. We're self-sufficient, or, or so it seems. But then one little virus has brought the world to its knees, has stopped the world from functioning and literally turned our lives upside down. We're, we're not as secure and stable and self-sufficient as we made ourselves out to be. And as soon as people are, are forced to see how vulnerable we really are, then absolute pandemonium breaks out. And that's understandable. It makes perfect sense if your trust is in yourself or in your savings account or in modern advancements of, of medicine and technology, or your trust is in princes, the federal government, or a combination of these things. But you see, Jesus asks us, why are you afraid? To prompt us to say, oh, it's, it's Jesus who is with us. Jesus is asking his disciples, don't you understand who is with you? Don't you understand who I am? And so, dear brothers and sisters, as we think about this story together, one of the challenges that I want to give to us is fear the Lord. Stand in awe of him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need not fear anyone or anything else. The command not to be afraid is one of the most repeated commands in Scripture. Did you know that? Do not be afraid. But it's not a command that's given without warrant. You know, it's not like one of our children doing something they shouldn't and we say, hey, don't do that. And, and they say, well, why? And we don't really have a reason. Uh, I don't know. Just don't do it. Uh, it's, it's not as though when Jesus tells his disciples, do not be afraid, if we ask the question why, that there isn't a reason that can be given. The reason, the ultimate reason that can be given for the command, do not be afraid, is because Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. There's real warrant to not fear because he is in charge. He has dealt with your sin he has destroyed the works of the devil. He has defeated death. Now all that's left for him to do is to come again and make all things new. And we know that he will because he's promised to do it and nothing can stop his almighty word. And so for now, we can live with confidence knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. 
We can live knowing that in the fear of the Lord, there is nothing else to fear. Our lives are secure. Though the earth gives way, Jesus Christ the Lord is our refuge and our strength. And so may we all know the pure fear of the Lord and trusting Christ for what he's done to save us and for the present and for the future. May we live without fear because we know the one who loves us and gave himself for us is seated upon the throne. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is one who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, and at the same time, he is one that we can turn to for help. Help us to fear him as we ought. And in fearing him, Drive out all other fears. Help us to live with confidence, not in ourselves, but in the reality that we are loved and kept and cared for by the Lord and King of this universe. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.